Welcome to Paradox Walk Podcast, specializing in paranormal activity, UFOs, cryptids, anything completely out of the ordinary, glitches in the matrix, things like that. Today's episode, we're going to go over the possibilities of earthquake machines. And I'm not just talking about Nikola Tesla with his famous uh, incident in the building where he shook a building with um, resonant vibration and shaking. We're going to hear from someone that actually worked in the industry of oil exploration and see if he thinks that it's possible using radio waves of all things. But when you hear his audio, it's not going to be me talking. It's going to be this man that did this for a living. It's going to sound very convincing that it is possible when you hear what he has to say. And I'm going to read over some of the, just the headlines of what's going on with these sightings of uh, winged humanoid, some people call them Mothman or something like that. There's some very strange stuff going on other than that. So let's get to the first story. So there's a line in the movie Big Big Trouble in Little China where Kurt Russell's character makes a comment about oil and the the supposed like man from China says to him in response to his comment about oil, you mean the black blood of the earth? And um, Kurt Russell's character says something like, we're talking about oil. And he's like, yeah, the black blood of the earth. And I found an article where somebody that was, this is going to kind of lead into the earthquake machine type thing, where this guy lists off all of the similarities between oil and blood. It's fascinating. So I'm reading this off of, it's kind of a funny name, fatknowledge.blogspot.com. It's from 2006. It's called Oil is the Earth's Blood, and it's dated Wednesday, August 16th, 2006. While the Amazon may be the Earth's lungs, Paul Solopek makes the case that the oil is the Earth's blood. In some respects, crude really does resemble blood. It scabs on exposure to air. It is organic and viscous. Some companies warm oil to about 90 degrees to make it slip more easily with less friction through pipelines. This temperature approximates that of the human body. Cold oil will coagulate. It coats the inner surfaces of the pipes with waxy buildups, much like arterial plaque. Pipelines must be cleaned regularly with the industrial equivalent of a cardiac balloon, a plastic plug that oil workers call a pig. Oil is not sterile. It supports bacteria and fungi. Terminal managers tell of draining old storage tanks and finding vines of oil-eating algae growing inside, some of them many feet long. The idea that oil is coming from like decomposed dinosaurs and stuff like and plant life and all that is kind of kind of uh it doesn't have too much traction after you think about how much has been pumped out of the earth used and we're never running out i remember there was a video on youtube like years ago called like peak oil or something and it was supposed to scare you into thinking we've run out of oil the whole world's gonna end and it never happened of course i mean living in new mexico we would drive by like miles and miles of oil fields where they don't even pump hardly any of them like they they don't even turn them all on they just like have one or two on at a time out of like 50 of them anyway perhaps the most remarkable thing about all about oil is this after 150 years of unleashing its explosive power to to shrink the world and expand our domination in nature after reshaping it into innumerable useful byproducts from plastic cradles to vinyl body bags we still do not understand fully where oil comes from or how it is made. 
the notion that it is the cooked and condensed remains of dinosaurs is at best marginally correct. Most geologists agree that terrestrial life never existed in sufficient abundance to explain the vast amount of crude now lurking in the ground. Anyway, let's hear from somebody whose job was to locate this stuff in the ground. And at first, I'm going to kind of go over what I found when I was looking up on how radio works. When you look at your radio, like the old-fashioned you know, like radio that your car came with that no one listens to anymore. You got FM and AM. FM tends to be like more for like music and stuff. And AM, uh, they use it now for like voice or like, you know, kind of like talking and stuff because of the difference in quality. AM, if you can imagine like it coming out of an antenna and shooting out across the horizon, that's basically how the direction of that goes. But what FM does is very, very different. It shoots up into the air, multiple miles into the air, until it bounces off of, this is crazy, it bounces off what they call the ionosphere. When you look into that, that makes absolutely no sense if the world is the way they say it is, because how do astronauts chat with their ground control if radio waves bounce off of the ionosphere, right? I'd like to see how this magical penetrating ionosphere radio works that is different than every other radio so fm it gets bounced off and it kind of uh makes the radius of a about the size of a city or a town or like a large town or something like that it's not shooting off across the horizon like am radio is so when you think about that just imagine that the ionosphere seems to be something more like solid like you're bouncing something off a mirror or hard surface is the way it tends to react this man okay his name is brooks agnew he's a radio tomographer so the his job was to shoot like radio waves into the ground and he tells you how it works and how he believes that it's possible to create a large earthquake let's hear it from him in 1983, I did radio tomography with 30 watts, looking for oil in the ground. I found 26 oil wells over a nine-state area, and 100% of the time was accurate with just 30 watts of power beaming straight into solid rock. HARP uses a billion watts beamed straight into the ionosphere for experiments. Picture these strings on the piano as layers of the earth. Each one has its own frequency. What we used to do is beam radio waves into the ground, and it would vibrate any strings that were present in the ground. We might get a sound back like, and we'd say, that's natural gas. We might get a sound back like, and we'd say, that's crude oil. We were able to identify each frequency. We accomplished this with just 30 watts of radio power. If you do this with a billion watts, the vibrations are so violent that the entire piano would shake. In fact, the whole house would shake. In fact, the vibrations could be so severe underground that could even cause an earthquake. Yeah, so that's interesting. This is from the website phantomsandmonsters.com. This is Lon Strickler's website. He takes reports all and puts them all together on this. This is just one. There's dozens and dozens of these. Chicago phantom, Chicago, fly, like large flying bat, like mothman, winged humanoid. They're, they're, I'll just read one of these. Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to read the whole thing, but 
And this has been going on for years. I've heard about this years ago. This is from 2017. We were walking back from visiting a family member's house when we saw what looked like a huge bat, later described as having large wings and black, fly over our heads and continue down the street. As we continued walking, we saw that the bat had landed on the ground across the street from Tiendita. It means little store, right? Tienda, Ita, Tiendita convenience store on the corner of South Ridgeway Avenue and West 24th Street. We also noticed that it was looking right at us as we walked toward the intersection, and it was very easy to see with the lights. As we got near, we saw someone come out of the tiendita across the street, and this thing turned its attention toward the person who saw it and screamed and took off running. It was then that it looked back at us, it turned back at us and opened its wings and took a step toward us. My sister and I did not stand around to see what was going to happen next, and we took off running back toward West 23rd street the family member's house where it had come from was near the viaduct where the train goes over this large bat let out a shriek and took off into the air because it flew just over our heads and then landed about 15 feet in front of us on the road it looked right at us and shrieked at us at that time a car turned on the south ridgeway avenue from behind us on west 24th this bat took off from the road and flew off leaving us cowering on the sidewalk we have never been so scared in all of our lives, and we hate to think what would have happened to us if that car had not turned the corner when it did. The car continued its way, not even stopping, and we headed back to our family member's house and gave her son a ride home. I'm just going to read just the headlines. I'm not even going to click on anything. Think about this. like how, How and why there are so many of these. Chicago, Lake Michigan, winged humanoid, sightings and encounters. This is almost just like each one of these is a story. Photo, second Mothman, bat-like object witnessed over Chicago. Third Mothman, bat-like reported over Chicago. New Mothman-like encounter in Chicago. Interview first, Chicago Owlman witness, Oz Park. Chicago Owlman, Mothman, seen by multiple witnesses. Breaking, third, Chicago Owlman sighting. People draw it like what they see, and they a lot of times they show it having uh, red eyes and just huge wings. Large winged humanoid encountered again in Lincoln Park, Chicago. Jogger encounters Chicago Phantom near the Navy Pier. I've been to the Navy Pier many times. A giant red-eyed bat flies over couple in Chicago's Lakeview. Large human-like black bat seen by multiple witness at Adler Planetarium. I've been there too. Chicago Phantom. New witnesses confirm sighting at Adler Planetarium. So multiple witnesses are coming forward saying that they saw that. Bat-like humanoid seen flying over. This goes on and on. Logan Square. Chicago police officer reports phantom sightings in Auburn, Greensham neighborhood. Uh, these go f- as far north as Kenosha, Wisconsin, and as far west as like kind of mid-Illinois, like as far as Rockford, there's been a couple there, but mm, a lot of these are just, some some people report this as a seven-foot-tall bat. I've heard of one saying that it like kind of came out of a tree and just floated like in midair without flapping its wings. Now is uh, Lakeshore Drive, which is a beautiful area. Kind of odd that you would have something like that there. But I don't. What is it about Chicago, right? Like what, they like the buildings. I don't know. I don't get it. But um, I kind of copied this little. Uh, this is on the same website, uh, Phantom and Monsters. Last episode was about shapeshift, like people shapeshifting into dogs and. 
one was a cat, but that was like a comment. But this is uh, from 1989, Nicaragua. We went on a school trip visiting the ruins of an old Sandinistas outpost that was politically historic, located in the small town Granada in Nicaragua. I think there's a Granada in Spain. Anyway, this is Granada, Nicaragua. We were 27 kids all together and had special permission from our parents to go there. I happened to notice that there were houses by the place where the historical site was. They were on hills of a mountain where I stupidly had gone to investigate. The houses were old and made of wood. They were about 60 yards from the historical site. And as, as I came by the first house, an, elder, an elderly man came and asked me why I wasn't with my group. I told him, why do you care? He responded in an angry tone, because there are things out here that will take you. Our country is wild, but only if you travel in the mountains, rivers, lakes, or by the sea. So I paid no mind to his warning. It was about 5.30 p.m., and I was about 100 yards from the historical site. As soon as the teacher blew her whistle, we were to regroup at the bus in order to leave. I was sitting next to the tree line eating a sandwich when behind me I heard a distinct noise. It was a growling sound that literally shook all of my nerves. I immediately turned back to see if anything was coming my way. Suddenly I heard the teacher's whistle and I figured I had a good two or three minutes to get up the tree and see if I could spot anything, so I did. What I saw crawling on the forest floor did not make any sense at all. It was a man lying on the ground about 80 or 100 feet in the wood line. His body was jerking as if in extreme pain. I saw that his back looked sweaty, and as he jerked, he turned his face towards me, and I could see his eyes were red and his nose was literally turning black and elongated. I quickly climbed down the tree, grabbed my backpack, and left, running to the bus. Apparently, I was the last to return. As the bus started to drive off, I said a prayer to protect me from this monster that roams the land. I asked my grandpa the next day about these things I had seen. He grew up there and was a native to our country, and his dad had been a coffee farmer, which is one of the things my country still trades to the United States. He explained that the locals had a curfew and that they never went out unarmed to pick the coffee because of these things. And he sus suspected they were both animals and humans and practiced devil wor worshiping and traded their souls in order to shapeshift into many animal forms, such as the great wolf spirit. Weird, right? Yeah, that was uh, that's also on the Phantoms and Monsters website. But anyways, um, I'd like to thank everybody for checking out the podcast. My Patreon is patreon.com slash paradoxwalk. The music is Downbeat88. The opening track is called The Dark. The ending track is called Moment of Peace. I'd like to thank my first Patreon, Roxy. And I hope you guys are doing good and have a good day.